0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Inform with Anthony podcast. This time we're going to be doing a little bit differently. We have someone uh, via online uh, meetup, I guess, uh, we're going to be doing. Uh, And today we have in studio for the Let's Talk segment, Mr. Dale Partridge. He is a pastor at Reformation Fellowship. He is a father-husband, lives in Prescott, Arizona, and is also the author of The Manliness of Christ, Mr. Dale Partridge. Thank you so much for joining us here.
1: Hey, brother, man. I'm excited to be here and have a conversation about Christ being King and what that means for culture, what that means for the church, uh, what that means for everybody that's listening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing? Um, how, how were you raised? Have you always been Christian? Um, kind of that journey. Yeah, no, that's a good
1: uh, good way to start. Let people know uh, who I am. I-, I was born and raised Southern California. Uh, been there or uh, was there until I was 28, 29 years old, so I I know the culture there really well. Um, I know the uh, multicultural structure of Southern California. I moved up to the Northwest to be in Bend, Oregon in 2014, uh, which was a a bit of a shift coming up to uh, the Northwest. It's obviously a different, uh, maybe similar politics to the West Coast politics of California, uh, but it was definitely a shift. I think there was you know, in some ways, the Northwest people are nicer, but also it's colder there. And I think people are indoors more, which makes people less social. Uh, so there's some strange stuff, especially up in Oregon. But uh, we had a great time living there for a season. We, uh, My health declined in uh, 2018 uh, due to a variety of things. Uh, the number one thing is, is mold. Uh, I, I had a reaction to some mold and I started getting really sick. Uh, So sick that I was having seizures and having, um, you know, internal bleeding and kidney issues and uh, all all types of uh, mysterious things that we couldn't figure out until we realized that I had mold toxicity. We moved out, we moved down to Southern California or back down to Southern, uh, the Southwest and here in Arizona. And we've uh, it's been wonderful. My body's continued to heal. Um, So that's kind of the personal journey. I'm married. I had three kids um, and my kids are just wonderful season of life. They're you know nine, uh, almost seven and five. and so we're kind of in the crazy kid zone. Uh, my wife and I've been married for thirteen years. I have been in ministry for full time for a little over five years. Before that, I was a, I was a Christian involved in the church and and um, and even doing a little bit of preaching. but before that, I was a business guy and I, uh, when I say a business guy, I, I really mean it in the sense that I was writing books. I wrote a book called People Over Profit, another one called Launch Your Dream, another one called Save From Success. I had ran several multi-million dollar companies. And so when we made the shift from business to ministry, uh, the Lord really made it clear it was time. Um, you know, we learned the lesson that once you get to the top, there's nothing there in the sense that uh, you know, if you make lots of money... Uh, it, it doesn't really change once you make a certain amount of money it doesn't really change your joy um, and so my wife and i really felt that that we go we we just didn't need to continue to chase uh, an income and, and so we we went into ministry and started relearn.org uh, in 2017 which is really a fight to uh, increase and strengthen literacy theological literacy and biblical literacy in the church it means that we want to help people understand the gospel a good sound doctrine and theology but we're also, I would say, offering some pretty key insights to cultural commentary from a Christian perspective on issues that are facing the church, from uh, abortion to uh, the LGBT issues, to transgenderism, to pornography, divorce. Um, you, know, you, you name those issues, we're trying to hit them. Um, and so I've written a handful of books uh, from uh, The Manliness of Christ uh, to a book called The Ground of Good Theology. Um, I just finished a new kids book that you guys can see right here. Uh, called Jesus and My Gender, which is really talking about uh, affirming children and their uh, male and female roles. Um, Yeah, what else did I miss? I don't know if anything, I I went to seminary for five years and so studied studied the word of God at a pretty deep level there. And so I am excited uh, to really start getting more Christians prepared to proclaim the gospel faithfully and to uh, understand how to defend yourself against the lies of the
0: culture spewing out on a regular basis. Awesome. Very good intro there. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I you know, for, for people probably wondering, you know, w- especially when I brought or I invited you to come into this podcast, I was really blown away, not just by your book, the Malliness of Christ, but also just the way, uh, you know, as a pastor, the way you address the cultural issues. So I've been, you know, I've been following you, you know, I don't know how long, uh, maybe a little bit over a year or so. Uh, someone turned me on to your to your Relearn HQ, uh, which is on Instagram, and I saw how bold you were, you know, you were out speaking on a lot of the culture issues, like you said about. Whether it has to do with you know the LGBT movement or it has to do with the uh, gender theology that's uh, being thrown out there, the ideology rather uh, that's being thrown out there to children, and so um, a lot of my audience are, are Christian, uh, whether it's Protestant or Catholic. I have a lot of believers that do follow me, and 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 you know I try to be as outspoken as I can. Sometimes what that does is it uh, gets me banned uh, <laughs> online, and and I'll, I'll be honest, there's times where I watch some of your content where I'm just kind of like man how is he not bad either you know (laughs) because you're you're so outspoken and so um with that you know i i just kind of wanted to ask you um when when, how how long has it been maybe that you know you and i have talked before and and we've seen that i think that the problem that we see in society today and, and why we see this decline is because there's not a lot of outspoken pastors there's not a lot of churches teaching good theology and i think that until we fix the church until we fix christian's outlook of how we're supposed to behave how we're supposed to act you know i i have so many christian followers that 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 you know proclaim to be christians and they're like oh don't don't speak about this or don't speak about that can you kind of go into maybe like your reasoning or your thought process of when you see something And you're like, Ooh, like I need to speak out on this because, because of such and such. Can you just kind of talk me through that?
1: Yeah. Again, I think that the reason that most of the Christians today are struggling with not confronting the issues of the culture is because most Christians don't know their Bible. And the reality is, is that at some point you have to stop just letting other people tell you what's in it and you need to read it yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's an element of theology that people are constantly forming their theology based off of someone else's perspective versus really taking the time to, to read the word and to arrive at their own theological conclusions that, that align with the historical evangelical conclusions. And so um, when you believe wrong, you'll never live strong. And that idea is that it is absolutely essential to believe right about God, about family, about marriage, about gender, about uh, humanity, about sin, about um, the gospel, about Jesus Christ, about creation, about all these things. And so, what it really takes is first a a core grasp of of what the Bible actually claims to be, and what it what it claims about Jesus Christ. And so, that I think is the the starting point. Whenever I see a Quote Christian affirm things that the Bible does not affirm. I either a think that they're not actually born again believers because we've had so many people come to the church but never come to Christ. They've actually come to the church. They're moralists. They're religious moralists, but they've never actually been born again. And Jesus says you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And that born again reality is the it's a it's a spiritual resurrection. Um, it's you're born spiritually dead, uh, separated from the life of God um, because of our sin. And we need to be born again. And the way that we're born again is through the hearing of the gospel. It says, uh, Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And uh, we need to hear the gospel. Now the gospel in America has been, Jesus loves you, um, follow him. And, And that's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is that you have a God that you were, you were made by. Um, he has given a law. You have broken that law. Um, you are in sin against an eternal God and deserve eternal punishment. And the only way to become righteous because you are now unrighteous, right? You are, you are born as a sinner. You, you, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you break the 10 commandments and you're unrighteous, right? You have an unrighteous uh, verdict on judgment day because if you've sinned once, you've sinned enough to be unrighteous. So therefore you need to be found righteous. And the only way to be found righteous is to get the righteousness of the only one who did keep the law, which is Jesus Christ. And that's the whole gospel, is that you get the righteousness of Christ by faith. And that's the promise of the New Testament, is that, that you need to be found righteous. This is humanity's major problem, is that when you die, you're going to stand before God and you need to be found righteous. And the only way to be found righteous is to completely keep the law perfectly. And the only one that kept the law perfectly was Christ. So what we do in the gospel is that we give our sin to Jesus. He dies as our substitute, paying the price and the penalty for our sin. And then he gives us his righteousness through faith. So that that core part of the gospel, um, understanding that reality is essential. The second thing um, is that we have to realize what the gospel means, is that Christ triumphed over the devil. And if you read Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So you have this reality that that the war is won. And the gospel actually is a message. It's a political message. I mean, it's the gospel of a kingdom. You know, Jesus constantly says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's talking about when when that resurrection came, that was the inauguration of the kingdom. And so our good news to go tell people is that there is a new ruler in the world and it's Christ. And you need to submit to his rulership. You need to submit to his headship, to his kingship if you wanna be saved. If you don't, you every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at his return. But if you wanna be found righteous, you must submit to the king. And so the, the good news about it is that you don't have to you don't have to be eternally separated from God, which is the definition of hell, where your soul is eternally separated from God. You can actually be reunited to God through Christ. Um, that's the good news that you're no longer, you don't, you don't have to go to hell. You can, you can actually be in heaven with Christ. And so there's, there's an element there of, of proclaiming the kingdom. And I think that the big thing that the church has missed is that message, the other thing is, um, and you can stop me at any time, Anthony, because I can just talk way too much. Sorry. <laughs> um, right. And so um, the the other thing is that we have an eschatology. That, now that word is, it's a Greek word that just means last things. Um, and our eschatology is pessimistic. And it's only been pessimistic for about 150 years. But America has a pessimistic eschatology, meaning that we believe as Christians in America that the world's just gonna get worse and worse and worse until less and less people come to Jesus and Jesus is gonna to have to come, return, and mop up this mess, save everything, and we're all gonna go up to heaven and be with him and everything's gonna, you know, everybody that didn't believe in him is gonna to go to hell. And and that's, that's what Christians believe in America.
0: Um, you know what? And I kind of wanted to follow up on that. This is something that... Uh... After you and I spoke last time, uh, I I went into the Bible and and I started looking up scripture and and I started kind of asking people, why is it that you believe that? Why you know, I was raised Pentecostal uh, Christian, and I I wouldn't say that the sermon was necessarily this way. But what I will say is that you're absolutely right, is that a lot of the audience members, the churchgoers, the Christians, all I've ever heard is, well, who cares? We're not from this world we are from somewhere else we are not to stay here nothing of this is ours this is all past you know we're going to be passing through and and our ultimate goal is to just make it through life and and be as good as people as we can and what i see that does is it emasculates the the church it emasculates um or is that the proper word i'm not it sure ste- it it, yeah. it,
1: i mean it steals the mission the mission from the church to go because Christ is king of heaven and on earth, all authority has been given to him and make disciples of the nations. Um, meaning that, you know, we have to think about this is you, what you're talking about, Anthony, is the term that people often said say is we don't polish brass on a sinking ship. Why are we going to take care of something that's going to go away? Um, and so Christians check out, they check out and yeah. they, they do hunker down, hide out Christianity, silent Christianity. And instead of spiritual life becoming a kingdom-minded, conquering through the gospel and the righteousness of Christ, it becomes an individualized experience of my emotions with Jesus in my house alone or at church. So So that's what we call pietism. And so we have Christianity has become like an individualized experience in America instead of the historical uh, Christianity that was ap- actually a conquering movement. Now, the conquering wasn't ever to be done through uh, war, like physical war. It's spiritual war, conquering by way of the gospel. And we know that Christ has continued to convert the masses since the beginning of time. So, Christianity started with what, 12 guys? um and uh you know a, ha- a handful of others that were around and by the year what 350 it took over the roman empire um and now we go 500 years forward from that the year 800 and you now have more christians than there were 300 years or 500 years ago you go 500 years forward we have more christians it's not just more christians but it's actually more christians usurping the ratio of humanity or, or of people on the earth so we're actually growing in professed Christians over the centuries. And- so, would
0: you, would, so would you disagree? I, I think we talked about this last time too, but uh, there was like an article saying that uh, Christianity, maybe not worldwide, but maybe here in the United States is actually going down. Like the percentage of people that I identify as Christian uh, and there's people becoming more secular, more, I guess, atheist. Um, so would you disagree with that? Because I, I've also heard that like Islam is becoming like the most predominant, um, uh, I guess, religion. And I, I don't know if you know who Andrew Tate is, uh, but he was, I think like a self-proclaimed Christian, if I'm not mistaken, I don't follow the guy too much. I obviously know of his name because he's gone viral and I see him on the news most of the time when I'm, when I'm covering news, but he said that he's actually switching over to Islam because of how weak Christianity has basically become. And I, I don't mean, mean to mince words, but, and yeah. I, I'm not trying to make this about Andrew Tate, but I guess the, the, The concept that I understood from what he was saying was Christianity is so weak. There's nothing to fight for. No one's fighting anymore. Everyone's become so passive that he's just going to switch over to Islam because at least they still defend their culture, their values. I mean, I'm sure you've heard what's happening in Qatar where they're like, no, we're not going to just allow this to happen in our stadiums. No, you're not going to be allowed to wear those LGBT and our armbands into your uniforms. No, that's not going to happen. You, you will respect who we are and you will respect our nationalist uh, you know, um, uh, religion. How, how do, how, what do you say to all that? Or
1: Yeah, so again, Bible? I think that the West um, is purifying. I don't think that, so one, the, the true church, born again believers cannot fall away. So the Bible teaches that if you're truly born again, you will not fall away from Christ. I mean, Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verses 25 uh, through 26. He says, uh, he says, I told you, okay, where is it? I'm looking at my, my Bible here. It says, um, he, he's talking to the Jews. And the Jews are saying, hey, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And Jesus says, I told you and do, you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Check this, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I and the father are one. And when you think about this with also the reality of, you know, Jesus says, or Paul, Paul claims that he who began a good work and you will finish it, or uh, Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. Uh, you know, there's several scriptures that talk about this idea. So the people that are falling away—they're not; these are apostates. These are people that have never actually been born again. These are the people that I'm talking about when I said that many people came to the church but never actually came to Christ. And so there's a purification that's going on right now. We know that uh, people like, yeah, like uh, Andrew Tate, that are converting—they never came to Christ in the first place. Now they're—they're going to argue and kick and scream that that's otherwise. Uh, but uh, in the uh, book of First John, he says. Um, if they were of us, they would have remained with us, but because they were not of us, um, uh, they have left us, essentially. Um, there's a, probably a little bit of a botch there, but you can look it up in that passage. But it's the idea that the people that were, if they were truly of us, they would have remained with us. But if they're not truly of us because they, they came to the church but, and, and they, they're moralists, um, they're, they're just there. Um, they they think they know Jesus. And Jesus often talks about this too. He says, you know, many in that day will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do these things in your name and say, away from me, I do not know you. And so there's an element of being in the church and not being in Christ. And um, that's because of the inflated reality of the American church preaching this false watered down gospel. And so we have that problem for sure. And um, when it comes to the discussion of of it, is the church getting smaller. The church never gets smaller historically. It never, ever gets smaller, continues to grow because Jesus says that the, the kingdom of God is like leaven, that leavens the whole lump, or it's like a mustard seed that starts out small and continues to become the biggest tree of the uh, of, of the trees in the garden. And so it's continuing to grow. Now in the West, we are absolutely seeing a purification, but you know what? In the Middle East, uh, in China, um, Cuba, parts of South America, we are, India, we're seeing a massive Explosion of Christianity, true Christianity, because we know that persecution becomes like these nurturing. uh, It's a, it's a, it's almost like the uh, the fertilizer for the growth of the church when you have persecution. And so, uh, the church is continuing to grow. I think it will continue to saturate the world uh, because Christ is King, and Christ is doing it. We're proclaiming His message, but He's the one that's converting and changing hearts. And so, when He's at the head, uh, we don't have to worry about it failing it's not going to fail because we don't serve a failing king. We serve a victorious king, a victorious savior. And we can believe that and have trust in that. And so, yes, we are having a winnowing um, in the West. Um, it's, a, it's a decline in the West of, of, of morality here but the true church is starting to be very clear and we're starting to realize that Americans uh, America's numbers were not nearly as big as we thought it was but there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of faithful Christians that are here and now i think the game is on that we're actually preaching a, a biblical gospel and we're starting to see the fruit of it
0: now what do you what do you say when you know the news coming out of Qatar is basically like, oh, you know, it's it's Islamic nationalism where where they prefer Islam versus, you know, Western democracy or you know, whatever they want to call us out here. But what what you know, I, I've talked to Christians that say true Christianity looks like what we have now. People should not be forced, people should not be intolerant, people should not people should be allowed to do whatever they want. This whole live and let live. Uh, perspective of like well you know jesus christ said that everyone has uh options and if this is what they want to do then you know it is what it is Uh, i was talking about um one story that i recently covered was how in texas where you know they proclaimed that it's 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 a very red state and its own uh or the like the legislature is like christian majority and these republicans and stuff and and i forget what city exactly it was but they were talking about uh, the, the tem- temple of Satan. Um, and, and they were basically having like public unbaptisms. And so yeah. it's like a baptism, but it's unbaptism, And then you have to, they, they would put like a mark of, uh, the, the upside down cross. And then they would say, you know, like hell Satan. And I, I tell myself, I'm like, what would a true Christian nation do about that? What, what, what should we be allowed for this to be done in public under their constitution. You know, a lot of people like to point to, uh, for example, religious freedom. They say like, well, it's protected by the constitution. Who are we to kind of debunk that? But I I, I think one of the founders, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was John Adams that said uh, the constitution belongs to a moral and religious people in the hands of others. It, it's basically, you know, basically, I, I'm sure I'm butchering the phrase, but what is your take on that? Like is Qatar, the way Qatar is doing it, is that the right way to rule as, as a religious people? Should we be kind of imitating the same where we don't allow these things to be done in public as Christians, or should we be more like live and let live, or should it be kind of somewhere in the middle? What, what, what does that look like to you? Pastor?
1: Yeah. So a couple things. One is we should be doing what the scriptures say primarily, and again, we can't do what we don't know, and we can't know what we don't read, and we can't read what we don't commit to. And so open your Bible, people, and start reading and start studying and start listening to faithful men that, that have proven themselves to be uh, great expositors of the Word of God. Um, that That's step one. Um, the the next thing is, uh, you know, what they're doing in Qatar or, you know, that that is... Uh, the natural, um, conclusion of any religious conviction. Um, the problem is that they have no authority that's really behind them. You know, Jesus is King. And because of that, we actually can have hope. Now we, we don't have hope that we're going to, that we in the flesh are going to win this thing. Uh, we have hope that that we will continue to make progress. Our labor is not in vain. We sow in hope is what the scriptures teach. Um, but we will have persecution in that the problem is is that yeah christianity has eliminated its involvement in politics or economics or education or foreign policy or media which is which is ridiculous it's 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 not it's not biblical it's not has anything to do with church history i mean do you understand what like if anybody understands how america was founded they would understand. I mean, when, 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 uh, when George Washington did his inauguration letter for Thanksgiving, which eventually turned into the Thanksgiving holiday, this was many years earlier. Uh, it sounds like the apostle Paul wrote it, but it was the president of the United States. And so when we had a Puritan era back in the, you know, 15, 1600s, um, there was, there was no distinction almost between political life and, and spiritual life. They were the same. And, and we should absolutely be fighting for that to have a full integration of Christianity in, uh, media and politics and economics and all these things sh- we we, we cannot leave Christianity just to the spiritual realm because that's where it's impotent. And that's what we're seeing right now. It's absolutely impotent in America and we're losing every moral battle that it's presented to the church. And so um, it's, it's just revealing that pessimistic eschatology or uh, checked out Christianity or uninvolved Christianity, because we think that Jesus is coming back next week or next year, or 50 years from today, we don't actually, I don't think Christ is coming back for thousands of years. And so we have time and we have to start realizing as Christians that Our faithfulness in our homes, managing ourselves according to God's word, having faithful children, catechizing our children, having a good marriage, having multiple children, raising them up to know the, to know the Lord, uh, having faithful businesses that raise, uh, that, you know, have uh, offer great jobs and are, are profitable and starting schools and educating kids, uh, for multiple generations and creating media companies that create content that can, uh, saturate the minds of the righteous. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we need to be doing, um, and uh, and that's essential. One thing I do want to say, uh, Anthony, is is the gospel also is viewed in Scripture as a command. It's not just uh, like an option or a choice. Um, at the second returning of uh, return of Christ, um, Thessalonians, uh, I think it's Second Thessalonians, chapter one it says, uh, this is this evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, which you are also suffering. So suffering essentially means that, hey, we're worthy to be suffering just like Christ suffered. It says in verse six, it's indeed God consider, considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Now pay attention here. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven to his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not, Know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Remember what I told you that I said, hell in the Bible is the separation of your soul from God eternally, and that's exactly what it says right there. But the, the gospel is to be oh, it, it's, a, it's a command, it's Christ is king, submit to his lordship, submit to his lordship. And you know, there's a clip going around with uh what's that actor's name? He's saying, Christ is Lord. Say Christ is Lord.
0: (laughs) And Shia LaBeouf.
1: Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Yeah. That's historic Christianity. Uh, Historic Christianity is masculine. It's bold. It's intense. um, It's sacrificial. It's loving. um, And yeah, it also is and must be kind and gentle and lowly. But the problem is, is we've created a one-sided Christianity because we've created a one-sided Jesus. But that's why I wrote, again, my book, The Manliness of Christ, because I wanted to exposit the scriptures and go, okay, we all know about soft Jesus because emotional, liberal, progressive Christianity has highlighted and magnified all the softness of Jesus for many, many years now, many decades, actually. And so I want to look at the scriptures and go, okay, what, what is... What does the Bible say about the maleness, the intensity, the boldness, the resolve of Christ, the masculinity of Christ? Um, Why did Christ have to be a man and not a woman? Like all those kind of things. And when you realize that we have actually a really intense masculine savior, you will realize that we need to have a really intense and masculine church. Now, again, it doesn't mean that we have, we don't love, we don't sacrifice. We don't, uh, we aren't kind. We aren't gentle. We are all those things and more. I actually said in the back of the book, I said, Jesus was the most masculine man to walk the earth. In fact, if you hate masculinity, you will hate the biblical Jesus. And so, um, yeah, that's, we got to recalibrate back to scripture and unearth biblical historic Christianity.
0: You know, you you brought up a really good point where you, you talk about, um, you know, where you believe that Jesus is not coming back for thousands of years. Again, going back to the way I was raised and the people that I that I heard, it did seem like they only planned for like maybe the end of the day or the day after. Yeah. Because they were just like, oh, it could be any second, which obviously the scripture does talk about, you know, it, no, nobody knows, you know, nobody yeah. knows. But I, I do think that it's interesting to your point that maybe it's time for Christians to start thinking not, hey, just don't worry about anything because we're all going to die tomorrow and, or, or, or Jesus is going to come tomorrow. It doesn't matter. I think we need to start thinking, okay, wait a minute. I have children or I plan to have children. I am also going to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. What am I doing today? Uh, of course, spiritually, as a Christian man, to leave them an inheritance, first and foremost, a gospel, but also maybe like, hey, maybe some land, maybe maybe a home, maybe a business, right? And I feel like, uh, again, I can't speak for all Christians. I can only speak for myself, and this is the way I was raised, and and you know, no fault to my mom, um, and I love her, and I'm sure she's going to be listening to this. But I did see and hear a lot of that in her. It's like, well, you know, who cares? You know, and oh, well, you know what I mean? And uh, well, you know, it, at the end of the day, who would we, we're not going to take anything with us. So why does it matter if we build and this is not? But I, I think, you know, in talking with you, you brought up a really good point. Uh, maybe you might want to talk about like Moscow, Idaho, uh, yeah. which you brought up last time and kind of, you know, people here. Christian nationalism, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican representative, she's talked about this before Christian nationalism. I've heard it before. Some Christians say it's an icky word. Stay away from that. That's not what we want. You know, we have nothing to do with politics. This is, this is a spiritual battle. Can you kind of maybe elaborate on, on some of those?
1: Yeah. So I think Christian nationalism is, you know, you know, my thought is this, it's an undefinable term and that's the problem it has. Um, there's a version of Christian nationalism that every biblical Christian can jump behind and say, yeah, amen. The problem is that there's 34 other ones that are fighting to be heard. And so uh, it becomes a term that's difficult to kind of stand behind as a banner. Um, now, there is a, you know, a book out there right now called Christian Nationalism that makes some really good points. Um, you know, There's some stuff in there that you know, almost every Christian is gonna have conflict with different parts of everything that's written. So um, my thought is this, um, I'm actually a fan of Christian localism because when you, when, you are, when you are faithful locally, you will be fruitful nationally. You will be fruitful globally. And so global fruitfulness starts with local faithfulness. And so um, starting where you are from your, your own, the, the government of yourself uh, by way of the gospel, your government of your family, um, you know, speaking specifically to the men as being biblical, patriarchal thinkers, meaning that you're, you're thinking as, as representations of your family and leading your home and, and engaging your children and and caring for them at every possible level and catechizing them in the truth of the word of God. And, um, and so, uh, localism is important. You talked about this idea of, um, really what I want you guys to grasp if you're listening here and you're trying to kind of figure out what we're talking about, the, the theological term that you can search around for, uh, for optimistic, uh, optimistic eschatology is called post-millennialism. It's the alternative to premillennialism, which is like what the Left Behind series that was so famous when we were kids um, was really standing behind. It's that you know, check out Christianity, everything's going to burn. And you have to remember, like, you know how long it used to take to build a cathedral? Um, like sometimes like a thousand years. And, and you, you got to think, you can't have a short-term perspective if you're going to build cathedrals that take a thousand years to finish. Right. Um, you're you're going to have your, your great, 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 great grandkids building that thing and they're still not going to see it finished. Um, that's a crazy concept to this generation, which is like, you know, the Ikea generation and our, our churches are built in (laughs) strip malls, you know? And, and, and so we, we want to have things as Christians that are built for multi-generational faithfulness. We want to build colonies for Christ that we're not just thinking about us, but we're thinking about, we want to build and establish a beachhead for Christ for my kids, for my great grandkids, for my great, great grandkids. And we're building now so that we have, many things for them to inherit from businesses and schools and all those things. And that is what's happening. Uh, A friend of mine, Doug Wilson, who has been doing this because his father moved to Moscow, Idaho, uh, I think in the 60s. I mean, Doug's about to be 70. And so um, his great grandkids or his grandkids um, are not thinking about leaving home. And they're not thinking about leaving home because... What's been sown there for generation after generation after generation is uh, there's more resources, opportunities, and relationships established there. They're experiencing the fruit and the harvest that was sowed there for many generations before. And this is the kind of thinking that America really needs right now is for Christian families to say, I'm going to anchor in. I'm going to anchor in and I'm going to burn the ships. And I'm actually thinking about writing a book called burn the ships on talking about move somewhere that you want to be and burn the ships means you're not going to leave. You're you're going to stay there and you're going to anchor down and you're going to build a a multi-generational colony for Christ. And, And you're going to do this only by the power of the gospel. And so you're just a minister of the gospel, but you're faithful in every area of Christ, all of Christ for all of life. And that is essential. So it is, it's a shift in perspective. Again, this is post-millennial eschatology, which is what all the Puritans had. Um, you, you came over on the Mayflower, you're, 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 you're rocking a post-millennial eschatology. I mean, this is the, what the pessimistic eschatology, um, you know, while it's arguably premillennialism has been around for a long time, but the dispensational eschatology of, that's so common today that's very pessimistic has really been since 1830, if you look in church history. Um, and so there's a, there's a shift that needs to happen. I think it's coming. We're realizing that checked out Christianity means we get plowed. And so we, we are realizing uh, as a church, oh, we need to not take, we need to not step out of these areas. Otherwise they will be owned by the evil people in the world and we will be ruled by them. And so it's, it is a big
0: shift that needs to happen. Right. And, you know, you and I both talked about this uh, before, and and this is where maybe you and I differ a bit, or maybe we can kind of elaborate uh, for for our audience here. I, you know, a lot of people tell me, I live here in Los Angeles County, California. And they're like, dude, it's a sinking ship. Get the heck out of there. There's no saving it. There never will be any saving it. Not in our lifetime, etc. cetera. Now you talked about you know localism. That's something that I emphasize a lot with a lot of my audiences. Local, local, local change. Stop worrying about president. Stop worrying about some governor out in some other state or whatever. Uh, start worrying about who your city council is. Who's on your kid's school board, right uh, at, the, at the schools and stuff like that. Start worrying about the local, local, local. And um, I, 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 I guess my question to you is, what do you say to people? about wanting to move i i just this is just the way i feel i feel convicted this way and maybe we could have a conversation about it is i don't feel like we should be moving i feel like we need to be conquering and and staying and and building in every square inch of this nation that God has given us. And, and, and so obviously I think that there are going to be times where you absolutely cannot, right? We, we had mandates here in California, some of the strictest in the nation where you had firefighters that were uh, fired, uh, but then they still had their spouse that was working and then their spouse got fired. So obviously if neither of you can get hired in California, then it's probably time to pack up and, and go. But I'm talking about specifically the people that can, that are willing and able and and that have the means to be able to stay and, and plant these seeds. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? There's a lot of people that say, well, you know, sure, I have it good here in California. The taxes are kind of getting too much. The gas prices are getting too much. I'd rather just go somewhere where all the work is already done. It's easier to live there. Taxes are less and I get to keep more of my money. I mean, the, the way I see it is, are we really called to, to leave our two, three bedroom home in California to go buy a six bedroom home somewhere else? Are we called to live an easier life or are we called to be here in the front lines? Maybe I can get some of your thoughts. On, yeah. On so that.
1: this is a good question. I mean, it's a, it's a huge question. I have a friend who lived in Southern California. He, he's working on a book called flight or fight. Uh, and it's like his story of why he left Southern California to plant uh, a church community in Texas. And he argues, uh, his name is Joel Webin, and he's got a ministry called Right Response Ministries. Um, he's a very bright guy. Now, his perspective, I have not heard on this topic, but I, I, I thought it was a, a good um, title at the very least. And he, uh, you know, there's another book called Principles of War, which I have read. And and this is a book written by Doug Wilson's dad up in Moscow, Idaho, talked about um, in war, you want to take places that are worth taking and that are takeable. Um, and so if you're fighting a war, you might go, man, New York's worth taking. But the reality is it might not be takeable. Um, and so you go, well, maybe Dayton, Ohio is takeable, but maybe it's not worth taking. And so you, you have to find out which community you want to live in. And is it takeable? And is it worth taking now? Is it you, you can do that at a neighborhood level, you can do that as a city level, you can do that as a county level, and you can do that as a state level. And so thinking that way is is important. I was just if, gonna,
0: I was just gonna say that, like what, like, for example, one of the things that I say is, there's a lot of red counties in California. Right. I, I understand. Again, the taxes are going to remain the same for the most part, you know, and, and gas prices are going to remain the same. But if you're just looking for a better county, like let's say you live in downtown Los Angeles, and you're like, dude, I'm tired of the homelessness. I'm tired of the drugs everywhere. I'm tired of, you know, fires every night or shootings or whatever. Why not just move to a safer area of that state? And then I guess a, a follow up question to that is, you know, you, you brought up how, you know, uh, it's got to be winnable. How how does someone make that determination of like is this winnable or not? But even more importantly, are Christians really going when we flee California for example or a deep blue city? Are we really thinking strategically? Are we saying like hmm let me look at a very purple area and 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 go out there and vote Republican or vote with Christian morals and values so we can fortify it? I you know I I, I kind of feel like when when Christians flee political, you know, especially if they're engaged politically, they're not necessarily thinking like, okay, for example, 2020, there was five battle States, right? Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Uh, I think Florida was one of them, you know, whatever, whatever, and so on and so forth. I don't really see a lot of people moving to these States that need to be won. So we can make political wins nationally. Now, granted, I understand we're kind of straying away from, uh, you know, Christianity to now politics, which we're going to jump into here in a second. But I mean, shouldn't that be our first and foremost thought? I just feel like people are like, mm, it's mostly just Texas and Florida, which are already kind of one battleground States.
1: Yeah. So I, I would say, um, there's a couple of things that you need to take in consideration. One, um, you have to follow your conscience according to the word of God. So that's number one. You want to make sure your conscience is informed with truth. Um, and discernment is important and so um, the 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 thing you also want to think about is you have to anticipate and basically do your best at predicting how the lord might save america over the next thousand years and so when you think about that you go well um is staying in california um, am i essentially committing to having my children and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren here in a state that could be increasingly getting worse over the next century. Um, Or would it be better to bless my children by being in a place that is, uh, has more opportunity for momentum where when this thing falls, the conversion of California will come in from the outside, not from the inside. That's just one way to think about it. Um, No one knows. And so, We have to be wise, strategic, um, intentional, and and realizing that your commitment to stay and establish and build long-term, not just the, again, the flippant, transient American life where you're like, I'm going to live here for 10 years and then move. um, That's so bad uh, because, and I've done it. I mean, I've done it. I'm I'm just so done with doing it because I've realized how bad it is because you go, man, I, I invested seven years up in Oregon. I mean, just deep investment there. And and really it, it has no benefit to my children at all now. And so right. you don't want to invest somewhere for decades and have all the relationships and established businesses and all that stuff. And then, you know, and then relocate and your kids lose the harvest. And so, so you want to stay in the same spot for, you know, you want to live where you want your great grandkids to die. Correct. And, and so um, it is a deep, question to think about that. Um, it, it, you can also, you can do an error. There's a ditch on both sides, right? You can, you can stay because you just are stubborn to stay. And I want to be the one that stays. You can do that. Or you can also leave because you're afraid and you're just going to leave and, and disappear because you just want an easy life. Um, and you got to sit before the Lord in prayer and and in truth and go, but where do you want our family? Is there any strategic wisdom that I need to have? Can you point me to that wisdom? Um, you know, bathe your your mind in the Word of God to help you make decisions like that. And so, um, it's tough, but th- there are there are good things to think about because um, Christians just need to be thinking multi-generationally at this point, right? And and stop moving, um, stay settled. I mean, this is how it always was done, people. Right. You know, if you go back 150 years. And you know what? If you find a child there, you go. You know, how long has your family been here? They're like, I don't know, 250 years. You know, like it, I actually have a friend in Indiana who lives on his family's farm that's been there since the early 1700s. Oh wow! Um, and th- that's that's the kind of stuff we need to get back to, um, where you have rich, deep roots, and not just one family, but like when 50 or 70 or 80 families do that you can take that place for Christ um, just, it, just by sheer numbers and generational change and commitment to the word of God and the righteousness and the law of God and, and, and the gospel. And so um, it is, it's, a, it's an important conversation that Christians aren't having. Post-millennialism, theonomy, these are the kind of theological terms you want to Google if, you, uh, if you're looking for more information. Doug Wilson, Jeff Durbin, James White, uh, some great voices, uh, Joel Webin. Uh, uh, on these these types of topics, if you want some further research.
0: Now, when it comes to you know Christianity and I, I guess politics, I have a lot of Christians who tell me, you know, hey, um, it, politics is not for us. Uh, Christians should not be involved politically. We we shouldn't be voting to have the government enforce our morals, our values. Uh, I've always kind of thought that was really bad. And way stupid. of thinking and stu- right and stupid <laughs> uh, but h- how do you respond to people that 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 tell you you know oh Christians should not be you know I- I've even had Christians for example tell me I am personally pro-life because obviously as a Christian I am pro-life but I will vote for choice because again I shouldn't be voting to take away someone's right to have an abortion. I should be voting the way Jesus would want me to. And that is to be pro-choice so that they can have the choice to make that decision or not. How how do you respond to that?
1: Yeah. So uh, the first and greatest commandments love Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as you already love yourself. Right. And, uh, and so it's not loving to vote for politicians and lawmakers and policies uh, where your neighbor will be ruled by wicked lawmakers, policies, and laws. Okay, it's not—it's not loving your neighbor to allow your neighbor to kill their baby. It's—it's it's not loving. Um, it's not loving to allow to to allow your neighbor to uh, distort and pervert sexuality. Um, It's—it's it's not loving to allow your neighbor to mutilate their child's sexual organs. It's not loving. And so what's loving is to vote in and uphold godly, righteous principles. It is the most loving thing to do, to be ruled by the, the law of God. So this is the options you got, people. You got, you're either going to be ruled by man's law, which is autonomous, right? That word auto in the Greek means self and namas in the Greek means law. So self-law or self-ruled. You have You have autonomy or you have theonomy. Means that you're being ruled by God's law, and so it, there really is no neutrality. You're either being ruled by wicked men, or you're being ruled by God's law. And and America was founded upon God's law, in principle, right? Um, right. It's, it's built on the Ten Commandments, and so when those things go away, you'll be ruled by by man. And and so it's really it's Christ or chaos. There's really no neutral ground. It, neutrality is a myth. Um, you're either for Christ or you're against him. Jesus even says that and so um, you want theonomy. That is the most loving thing. you want to uphold theonomy in the land and um, and it doesn't mean that you have a theocracy. It doesn't mean that you're being ruled by the church or being you know we're, we're applying you know Old Testament laws of stoning people to new new government today. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about um, is, is the concept of of uh, theonomy is ruling by God's principles by God's principles. It's 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 in principle His law. Uh, my friend Joel Webin actually just wrote me. I asked him. I said, "What's the title of your book again?" And he says, "Yeah, it's Fight by Flight." So it's Fight by Flight. Loving California by Leaving California. Ooh. Oh, so that's that's, okay. that's that's a so that's an interesting. <laughs> Uh, I, I haven't read it, but it sounds like a good one and he's still working on the manuscript, but
0: um, I'm going to have to buy it for sure. I, yeah. cause I, you know, I, I, I struggle with this, you know, it's something that I do feel very passionate about. I, I love California. I love that. You know, this is where my mom landed when she immigrated from, from, you know, Mexico and, and I see that what she's built and, you know, she went from, you know, not not having a middle school degree, not knowing the language. And now she's here, she knows the language. She she is successfully retired from a you know her job and and now she's a homeowner and she owns homes. And I'm thinking to myself, if this is the way we continue to think for our children and great grandchildren and and so forth so on and so forth, um, it'll eventually get to the point where it's like, hey, we've created this community for Christ. And so I just feel I feel very torn. So I definitely want to read up on that book. But what, what would you say, I guess, to people that say, as Christians, we should not be politically involved? I've always kind of seen it as a as a tool for Christians. It's like, hey, God has equipped you with this tool so that you can create, you know, cultural change within your community. You can vote in more. Or I guess some people even say, you know, you can't legislate morality. morality I'm sure. Yeah. You, right. I'm sure you've heard that. How do you how do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, I just go, I go, yeah, yes, you can you can legislate morality in the sense that, um, you, you can, you can't legislate a changed heart and you can't legislate a conversion to Christ. Right. Um, but you can legislate morality all the time. Yeah. I mean, you, you can make it. So, I mean, right now it is illegal to have sex with a child. Mm-hmm. Um, that, th- that is a law. And the reason it doesn't happen, uh, at least regularly is because it's a law. Um, right. and, and if you made the punishment for breaking that law, immediate death, it would probably happen even a lot less. Um, and so absolutely, I think that we need to realize that Christians have a political theology. There is a, um, you know, there's a book, um, there's lots of great books on this topic. This is called theonomy. So if you want to look up stuff here, guys, uh, that that's the category, but, um, Abraham Kuyper, if you're an academic at all, Abraham Kuyper was, um, you know, a public theologian, meaning that he would, he had a political theology and, uh, he's from, uh, Denmark, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and he wrote a book on the church It's called, it's called on the church or on, yeah, on, yeah, on the church. And, um, you can read up on his view and you're like, man, that's some powerful Christianity. Where's that at? Um, but we, we don't have it here in the West right now and we need it. Um, and I think that it, will, it is taking birth. There are more Christians that are taking root. And, and I think also to, to kind of, I know as we start to wrap up here is that uh, this will attract um, the men because right now we have a feminine Christianity. We have, now I'm, I'm not saying, um, we also have feminine Christianity. Um, now the two are different. A feminine is per, a perversion, um, but feminine is good. Uh, but the problem is we have an overtly feminine Christianity um, and men are going like, I, I don't want to be involved with this at all. They are not even coming to hear the gospel because it's, you know, come to church and some, some low lit music where you get to sing, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend and you sway your hips to the music. I mean, it's all bad. And so um, you, 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 we need a masculine Christianity because when you win the men, you win the women. That's historically true. Statistically, it's true as well. You win the men, you win the women. When you win the women, you win the children, you win the family. And so, uh, you know, we, we, you know, obviously, uh, Islam just won Andrew Tate, at least his ears. Um, and uh, so we need to win the men. Now, we're not winning them to Christ through just masculinity, we're winning them to opportunities to see and hear the gospel so that the Lord might change the heart and convert them and keep them and restore them. And so, uh, yeah, we do, we do need to, uh, to, to get masculine Christianity. Again, that's why I wrote the manliness of Christ. That's why I'm working on Jesus and my gender. That's why I'm, I'm writing books on theology. I'm, I'm working on a project uh, called manhood.org with a bunch of guys. We, we are working hard on this and, uh, that, that is our ministry and our, our mission and hope is, uh, for, to, to really strengthen up the church here in the West.
0: Awesome. I, I I guess the last question I have on this on, on the political side is there's a lot of people that tell me, you know, hey, as a Christian, I can't bring myself to vote for this candidate because uh, he doesn't believe the things that I do. You know, um, this person, is, you know, uh, might have a different view on marriage. For example, you have a lot of uh, so-called and I'm going to put these up in the air, uh, Christian conservatives that are, you know, even voting pretty soon to codify same sex marriage. Um, and, and you know, other things among that, you know, uh, w- with the CRT in the schools or, or the gender ideology, again, this whole let live and let live uh, uh, perspective. And so as a Christian yourself, how is it that you can maybe explain to someone, hey, these politicians that we're voting in, they're not necessarily going to be perfect. And maybe they might not align 100 percent biblically, but we still have a duty or an obligation to get out there and vote. Maybe just.
1: Yeah we're, yeah, we're voting for lesser evil. I mean, that's that's really cons, Christless conservative conservatism is just as wicked as liberalism in the sense that they're both on their way to hell. Uh, that, I I often tell people, I said, you know, the only thing that the liberals and the conservatives have in common is if they don't repent and trust in Jesus alone, they're both going to hell. And I know that's a strong word, but that's what the Bible says. And at least I'm going to be consistent with what I say, I believe in what I actually do. And so this is uh, important that we realize that is that it's it's choosing less, lesser of evils. And so um, Samuel Say, uh, who is, a, I think, a great voice, he has at slow uh, slow to write on Twitter. He says, I don't want Trump to become the Republican nominee. Ron DeSantis is much better. If Trump becomes the nominee, I want him to become president. Joe Biden and the Democrats are much worse, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's the idea is it's like, yeah, I don't. I it's choosing, you know, between two apples that have mold all over them. It's like, well, which one, which one is less ugly? Um, <laughs> and so, that that's really what's going on. Now, it, it's it's might be as as I think the as the world continues to be converted to Christ, which I think in hundreds and hundreds of years from now we're going to see a, a greater population of Christians even today, maybe 50% of the, the world will be confessing Christ. Right now, it's at like 30%. Um, I, I think that you will start to maybe see you know, godly candidates. And here and there, you might even see a godly candidate come in and, and make it into office by God's will. Um, you know, but I do, I agree that Ron DeSantis, I think, is a better candidate than Trump. Um, and you know, I think that there are uh, other candidates that are out there um, you know, Mike Pompeo is, you know, another guy that stands for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's a, he's a great man, you know, and there there's, we, we all have our failures and he does too, but there, there are some just great guys out there and women out there that, um, yeah, that need to be in, in, um, in, uh, operating, um, to change politics and, um, yeah, you just vote for the lesser evil. So hopefully that, that, that's a helpful answer, but I think that's really the only answer to that question.
0: Yeah. I think that the problem that I'm, a lot of people have is that they don't believe in that. They're like, oh, I don't want to vote for the lesser of evils, but I'm just like, yeah, when, when you, when you, you don't
1: vote, like <laughs> when you, when you don't vote, because we're in a battle, we're in a war. When you don't vote, you're essentially voting for the other side. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah, y- your, your absence is actually not absence. It's, it's not silent. <laughs> right. Um, and so all the Christians that didn't vote uh, in Arizona, You know because of that um you know we we now are gonna have homosexuality and abortion you know run rampant in arizona in a way that it wasn't if carrie lake was in right um and and so just we have to fight for the lesser evils we we do that that's the war it's 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 a thousands of years war um and, and the war is really already won it's just that we're in we're we're fighting the battle we're telling. The rest of the world, hey, Christ already won. But you know, um, and it's just—it's not an—it's we have to stop thinking so immediately that it's going to change in my time. And it's like, well, just be faithful and do as much as you can. You—you're you, not laboring in vain. Um, get involved, get engaged, build something for multiple generations, and by God's grace, uh, your grandchildren will have a better uh, world than than we had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I—I I say this to my audience all the time. Look, at the end of the day uh, pray about it, you know, have discernment over it. it. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what anyone really says, you know, it, it should just be, um, what you pray about and that personal relationship with Christ, you know, but, uh, with that, you know, I wanted to thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you online? What are your socials? What's your website? Some of the books maybe.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Instagram at relearnhq. uh, you could just type in Dale Partridge. You'll probably find me there as well. Uh, we have a verified account there. Um, and then uh, at Dale Partridge on Twitter, uh, it's, man, ever since Elon Musk took over, I feel like my account is growing like fire and it's been a really wonderful, uh, you know, uh, I feel like it's just gotten better.
0: Um, I see and, you all the time for what it, you know, I, 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 I've been following you on Twitter for a bit and uh, I never used to see you. And now- Yeah. Even the tweets that you like show up on my timeline. So not only are you showing up, but even the tweets that you like are showing up.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. So that's been great. Um, relearn.org. You can buy all of our books, uh, all my books at relearn.org. And that's a great way to support our ministry and, and what we're doing. I have a podcast also called Real Christianity, uh, where I preach every single week. Um, we're going through the book of Romans, but we also have a handful of different discussions here and there on other topics, but man, it is, it has been the best thing that I put out on the podcast after what, you know, couple, several years now is getting through the book of Romans, applying it to real life. And so, yeah, I would love to have you listen over there at real Christianity, but yeah, thanks again, Anthony, for having me. This has been a blast.
0: Yeah. Thank you again so much, Pastor Dale Partridge, for everyone, you know, tuning in. If you liked it, uh, you know, make sure you uh, like this over at the uh, podcast uh, apps. Uh, Make sure you share it. Make sure you comment on it. We'd like to hear your feedback. And as always, you know, God bless you guys. Thank you again, Pastor Dale Partridge, for your time. And I will see you guys next time. Thanks.